0: Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach.
0: And I'm Pastor Mark.
1: And today we are excited to have you all back to listen and to be with us once again. Today we're going to pick up from a thread of thought that if you listened closely to last week's episode, maybe you would have caught, uh, but it's about the purpose of theology, the aim of theology. And so whenever we whenever we call ourselves Christians, whoever calls himself a Christian is a theologian. This much is known. Mm-hmm. We are all theologians in one way or the other, because simply to be a theolo- theologian at its core is to be somebody who claims to know God. And so even if you are not a academic theologian, you've never studied theology in a formal way. You've never sat down with a systematic theology textbook and, and worked your way through it. Uh, you are still a theologian if you call yourself a Christian because you claim to know something about God, to know God even, and to have been saved by God. God has interacted in your life. And so while you may even have a very, very elementary knowledge, you you are a theologian. And it's for this purpose, for example, that the great 20th century theologian R.C. Sproul wrote a book to this title, Everyone's a Theologian. Hmm. And I think it's a very, very good point. But one of the questions that comes into play whenever we're thinking about theology is why we do theology? What is the aim and point of theology? Uh, It seems to me that there are often many different ways that people go about doing their theology, different starting points, different premises, different presuppositions, even different approaches to scripture and understandings of what scripture is. And so I think one of the important things before we even begin to really study theology in any formal way is to think deeply about what we might call uh, the prolegomena, which is sort of the introductory starting point, so the, st- the starting line of our theology, you might say. And so in this, I think the one of the most important questions is the aim of theology. Why are we doing theology? What are we hoping to accomplish through theology? Uh, And so, when we ask this question, we begin to have to think theologically about theology, which is, I think, kind of a (laughs) mind-bending thought, but it's very important because it sets the bounds for how we glorify God. I I think that that's the fundamental contention that I want to make. Maybe we can have even a short episode today, I don't know, because (laughs) I just want to say, make this very crucial point. Uh, that our theology ought to be happening anthro or not anthropocentrically but theocentrically it should be god focused the desire of all of our theologizing is to please god uh, honor god glorify god and to know god better
0: yeah um, when jesus is teaching in the sermon on the mount on prayer and fasting he he says when you pray don't be like the hypocrites when you Hmm. fast don't do this and and fast in a certain way and so that's what we want to do today is when you study theology Hmm. so there's an assumption that it's going to be happening there's an assumption that you're developing theology all the time every time you go to church you are developing a theology of who god is how he relates to people how the world functions Hmm. um what what is sin um, called Hamartiology, um, if you want to get the technical term. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you think about these things, that's the. We, we want to fill in the rest of that sentence in this episode. When right. you study theology, like um, I think Zach laid it out very well, um, it must be theocentric. It must be God focused, God centered, mm-hmm. a theo God centric, of course, keeping him at the center of the reason. For why we're doing things, and and going beyond that, um, as Christians, we study theology not just to look at God or think about God as an object to be Mm. evaluated, analyzed. That is more how the ph- the philosopher or the mm-hmm. non-believing theologian would study theology mm-hmm. um, to look at the Bible as if it's ancient literature or something to be studied and right. um, in the same way that we would think of Shakespeare or you know the works of William Faulkner or something like that mm-hmm. um, but the Christian has a relational intention for studying yeah. theology because this God who we have met who we have, believed and even, I could say, we have sensed, you know, um, enjoying the presence of God, um, Mm. enjoying uh, and believing the truth, like what Paul writes in Romans, anyone who professes with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. so there's something that's happened within you. It's not just an intellectual thing, but something within you that would drive you to study theology and that, that really distinguishes the Christian study of theology from the non believing um, enterprise of reading a theology book or even reading the Bible. Yeah,
1: that's a great point that reminds me of when I first started getting uh, turned on to the idea of studying theology, which up to that point in my life sounded extremely distasteful. Mm. The, the words doctrine and theology sounded just uh, inherently cold, dead, lifeless. And it seemed like it would be something that would be an obstacle to good faith and to knowing the Lord, uh, which I've come Hmm. to see now was absolutely wrong. I've come to see theology primarily as the pursuit of God, knowing God, and what could be better than knowing God. And so I I think one of the issues here as we can get into it uh, is that theology often is not so much used to know God. It's maybe to gain power. Um, mm. It's to, uh, if you know all the right things, you can sort of uh, be seen with, with more respect, respect and authority. You can sort of climb the hierarchy and uh, take
0: down your opponents. Sort uh, yeah, of a thing. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Or it could be used to, for anthrop- more anthropocentric reasons, uh, reasons that are man centered, centered on, uh, things that have to do with making the life of of human beings better. Uh, And so, yeah, how does this work out in in our own denomination? Maybe I should try to get into some specifics. Mm -hmm. I think in in our denomination and more broadly outside of the CRC, uh, a lot of theologizing that happens today happens with the almost express intent. Maybe it's not exactly express, but it, Mm. it seems to be an intent nonetheless to use theology to various ends that are less than the the glory of God, it's it's often uh, the case that many uh, on the left, if we can use that sort of language, uh, use theology to suit their own aims, uh, to suit to suit uh, whatever they are attempting to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not going to say that this doesn't happen on the right as well Uh, theology can get hijacked for the wrong purposes and often does but often in our day we we think of human flourishing as a as a goal that theology needs to work towards and i wouldn't say that that's exactly wrong but i think we often manipulate theology Mm. uh, because we have a certain set idea of what human flourishing looks like and for every person uh, depending on your different view of of different social issues in today's, today's world, you may have a different understanding of what human flourishing looks like. You may think that human flourishing means being the best version of yourself, being hmm. fully expressive of who you really are on the inside, not having anything repressing you or holding you back from being that person. So whoever you think you are, go ahead and, and be that person. And so if you want to be be a rude person and that's just <laughs> who you are. Go ahead and be rude. You do you. Uh, if you want to be, uh, you know, if you want to be somebody who's extremely wealthy and rich, uh, let nothing stop you. Let nobody to- to hold you back from just being a powerful rich greedy person uh, things like this Uh, the the Bible doesn't allow us to see human flourishing like that Hmm. as if it's just something that we get to define for ourselves the scriptures define what human flourishing is and I think a lot of times today people in the CRC and outside of it use theology and they they sort of use it as a way of suiting again their own purposes Uh, this often comes up with the with human sexuality where they use Theology. They can even use lots of the, lots of scripture in their thinking, but it's often not aimed toward the glory of God. It's aimed toward the earthly benefit of of hum- humanity, uh, but not even a God-defined goodness. It's a it's a it's a goodness that is defined by themselves, mm. by, according to their own standards and purposes. And so this is something that I think is really deeply wrong uh, and in the broader church in today, today's world generally.
0: Yeah, I heard someone say recently that everyone has a filter through which we read the Bible or we understand Hmm. or interpret what's a good church service or a bad church service, what's a good sermon or a bad sermon, what's a good theology book or a bad one. And so just recognizing that everyone has a filter um, is helpful. However, going beyond that, um, I think every Christian, Reformed or Methodist or non-denominational or Roman Catholic, at least needs to have the the humility to offer up their filter to the scrutiny of scripture. Hmm. And so, um, I hope that we do that in, yeah. in our teaching and preaching at Ammon Valley and in how we're we're hopefully leading this church forward towards uh, a fuller life in christ and um, a fuller enjoyment of life as well um but um we need to recognize at least that the humility of having that filter and how our culture in so many ways does yeah. does influence uh, what we're going to understand fl- human flourishing to be or what theology should look like and yeah. so um i think um yeah, within that, that's always something that I want to get established in conversations or when reading material from those of a, maybe a more progressive mindset or a mm-hmm. more conservative mindset. Like, and, and that's actually where good faith study of theology is going to help us, because theology assumes that we're going to be looking into church history, um, obviously we'll be looking at scripture. But we'll also be discerning how debates have have hmm. gone in the, the third century and fourth century; those those yeah. really kind of high points of of debate and and really setting the trajectory in many ways for the Christian Church since then. Hmm. Um, but also, we're going to have the humility to know how this. This area of marriage, for example, has been dealt with in the Middle Ages mm-hmm. and then in the Victorian era and then and now in the 20th century and into the 21st century as well. And so, just in and of itself, hopefully, theology is going to expand our mindset outside of just our cultural filter. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to, to prompt us to look at. The Catholic Church, you know, we mm-hmm. believe, we say in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in yeah. the Holy Catholic Church and that there there always has been a Holy Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, there, um, there has always been the Spirit working through the Church. And so, we can stand on the shoulders of giants in that regard. Um, Where Mm -hmm. I think both of those sides go wrong and the left progressive side and the right conservative side often taking the form of things like Christian nationalism and Mm -hmm. sort of an aggressive form of Christian nationalism that's very popular in some evangelical circles. Both err because they're not really doing theology by looking at the history of the church and Mm. the wisdom of the church for... um, for the issues that that we're facing, but it's it's become so enculturated,
1: <clears throat>
0: hmm. it's become so enculturated, and the filter is so thick that yeah. it would be almost impossible to do theology in in the way that, to me, is described in Scripture of having a humble approach, like like hmm. the Proverbs often encourage.
1: Yeah, this is uh, something that one of my favorite theologians, John Williamson Nevin, talks about in his introduction. To his book called the history and genius of the heidelberg catechism which is a great title by the way <laughs> uh, but he talks about how we should pay filial homage to our spiritual forebears uh mm. and that is he says that's one of the, the the sharpest signs of spiritual strength uh or something to that effect uh which i think is maybe a little bit of an overstatement uh, just because we are very respectful towards the uh Mothers and fathers of the church, and to great theologians of the church, hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily mean we're super spiritual or strong in our walk with the Lord. But yeah. it's a good point, I think, nonetheless, that we should we should read them reverently. We should read these old uh, old theologians. I mean, he's t- he's saying that in the context of uh, Ursinus writing the Heidelberg Catechism, and how we should go back to our history and read it with a desire to learn and not with a desire simply to criticize and it's that same same idea i think with coming to scripture Mm -hmm. we should see scripture as being the lord's voice and the lord as is exactly that he's our lord he is our sovereign he is our king and so we come to scripture very submissively uh not as lowly peasants, but as those whom are needing his grace and those whom he has called to be his sons, those whom he has with, with, with love bestowed upon, uh, bestowed upon us, his righteousness with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we come to the scriptures, not to use them or bend them to our own wills, but to listen as best we possibly can. And to always question whether we are, Uh, interpreting scripture for our own desire or out of a desire for the glory of god this is something that i think is very very crucial we should come to the scriptures uh, with total reverence and awe Uh, and i I think that sometimes we we think that as long as somebody's making an argument that has lots of scriptural references Mm. uh, it even sounds really theological maybe it even sounds like it's Oh that just sounds very christian reformed what they're saying and it sounds very biblical so it must be right I would say peer deeper try to wonder and see if you can tell it's going to be hard it's going to be some subjectivity here but try to figure out what their motive is hmm. what are what is what are they using this theology towards are they using it towards towards goals that god uh, approves of and god God loves, or are they using it towards things that that God despises and dishonors Him? Yeah, uh, I, I think that we see this a lot in human sexuality questions and discussions that are taking place among us right now, quite a bit. I just saw a conversation the other day on Facebook unfolding between uh, some of some of the guys from the abide wing of our our denomination, if we can call it that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some from, I don't know if they were from another wing, but they were very clearly on the more progressive side. And one of them who was speaking up was a a counselor, uh, a a Christian counselor, but who was very affirming of uh, same sex marriages and the LGBTQ inclusion sort of uh, framework. And he simply talked about how Synod's decision in 2022 is super destructive to people's lives. It's not bringing about flourishing. In fact, it's causing more and more depression, anxiety, suicide rates are going to go up because of it. And so he, he, and he talks about how as a counselor, he sees the effects of things like this and how it couldn't possibly be good, uh, for, for these sorts of things to be happening. Um, I would say, there's a number of things to say to this. Of course, I, I'm not happy uh, that, that people are are committing suicide and that people are feeling depression off the back of Synod 2022. Um, and so I want to be kind and compassionate there, but it, I also want it to be said that our theology is not to be driven by what makes somebody upset or happy. Uh, their own personal happiness uh, is not not to guide our theology. Our theology is to be driven by, by God's happiness. Uh, and hopefully we don't have to see, I think if we peer through this enough, we can see that these aren't necessarily at odds. In fact, I don't mm-hmm. think they are. I don't think using theology anthropocentrically is is against using theology theocentrically, as if Uh, If we do our theology theocentrically, it's going to mean bad things for human beings. No, actually, I think when we theologize and reason and understand Scripture with a God-centered aim, it will be for our best as well as human beings. And so, I I simply think that this counselor and others who think like him uh, are putting uh, human emotions in too high a seat in the theological process.
0: Not just emotions, but our ability to discern... What, what is good and for human flourishing outside of the word of God. Uh, there, there would be a, a, a very high view of this person's own ability to determine why somebody would be depressed or wanting to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, to make that argument, the person is basically saying, I know exactly what is causing this person's depression and their mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts, and it's you. Yeah. and It's your the way that the decision that you made, even though if one were to read, actually read the human sexuality report, it's full of compassion. It's full of really good advice on how to, to address many of these issues. It's full of stories and, yeah. um, and it's also full of very good biblical theology. Um, but w- what's often happening in those conversations is, um, the, sadly, the suffering of people used kind of as a sledgehammer to say, my theology is right and yours is wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and so exactly. I think, I think both sides need to be careful of saying that and, and just need to open up ourselves up to what does the word of God say? Yeah. And we believe the word of God and we believe that God wants our flourishing. Like, mm-hmm. um, before we recorded, uh, Zach mentioned Jesus promise, um, that that he's come to to give us life and life to the full life abundantly Mm -hmm. as some translations put it and so to believe him and to believe his word is to to move into the direction of human flourishing and to receive uh, a life that's that's full of of joy um like jesus said I've, i've told you this these things so that your joy may be complete yeah um and and so sometimes we believe that and we see it immediately and we're filled with joy because that's how I can feel a lot of times when I'm reading great theology, like what Herman Bovink wrote, or just when I'm reading the scriptures, a psalm that makes me feel immediately full of joy because of how great God is and how hmm. amazing hmm. his grace is for me. But there are other times when we do theology and we, we walk by faith and not by sight. And yeah. we believe this is the word of God, the will of God, and to live this way and to believe it is going to be moving towards thriving and flourishing and to encourage other people to move in that direction is going to lead to their thriving and flourishing, even though it might not feel like it immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would use the example of um, my prison ministry where we would tell men, you're going to need a regular job Mm -hmm. and you can't sell drugs anymore and you can't steal anymore. And when you get out of prison, you can't go do those evil things so that you can make money. And a lot, some of these guys would just respond and say, Hmm. why would I want to go work out in the California sun on a highway, you know, on a highway, um, you know, a construction team holding a flag when I can make, I can make 20 grand in a day selling drugs.
1: Hmm.
0: And so, if all they think about is the the amount of money that they're taking in a, a, yeah. as a part of their job, if that's the only thing that they're considering in that moment. that's the that, only metric of success. Right, it makes Goodness. perfect sense to go yeah, sell right. drugs. right? A, instead of us basically saying, it's going to be hard to go work in the sun yeah. a lot of days. And there's going to be a lot of days you don't want to go work out in the sun, but yeah. um, a clear conscience is a soft pillow. And yeah, uh, yeah, and and there's all of these other flourishing Mm -hmm. things that come from that, you know, having children who see you having a straight job, a good job that is going to help provide for them. It's going to set an example for them. And so there's, that's going to take a long time for them to buy into the goodness of that lifestyle and, um, versus the, the ease of getting that, that immediate gratification of, Mm -hmm. of selling the money. And, and so I think that actually the, um, the conversation about homosexuality, um, transgenderism is actually very similar to that where mm-hmm. uh, there, there are going to be moments of, of real joy in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so to celebrate those with people who are seeking the Lord, um, but then there are also going to be moments in their life of, of trusting, of walking mm-hmm. by faith and and not always by sight. And so um, it's kind of getting back to the telos of theology. Our, theology should be so God-centered that we're pulled through those, those difficult yeah. moments, moments of suffering. And um, we can walk by faith mm-hmm. because our hearts are so set on God that it's really the only thing that we would wanna do.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to, to unpack there. Um, but I think you've said a lot of things beautifully. Uh, one thing that comes to mind as I reflect on what you've said is the story of, of many whom I've heard who have chosen a path of celibacy. This may not look like worldly flourishing uh, according to earthly metrics of of what feels good and what makes one happy and uh, totally satisfied in life.
0: <clears throat> Especially in evangelical metrics. Right. Right. right if we're going to yeah. be honest, we could be critical maybe of some of those yes, metrics there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so. I think of stories like those of Wesley Hill, for example, who is kind of a well-known example uh, in the American church. He wrote a book called Washed and Waiting, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also plenty more. Sam Alberry mm-hmm. uh, would be a good one, or even Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, her story is, is even distinct from theirs in that she uh, did end up actually marrying somebody of the of the opposite sex Mm -hmm. and so she went from uh, being same-sex attracted which she still is i think she would say uh she still has those those temptations or uh, what have you but she is now married to a man Uh, in all of these i wouldn't say that these people are not flourishing yeah uh, and that they're not happy or they're not experiencing that joy of the lord the christian says whatever it takes to know the lord better whatever it takes, that's what flourishing is. Yeah. Flourishing is knowing God better. And that may mean that certain parts and certain things in my life uh, will not be how my flesh desires them to be. This is why Jesus says radical things like, if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. It's better it's better to have your eye thrown into the fire than to be thrown into the fire yourself. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off for that same reason. Uh, there may be parts of us, I think is what the, the message is here, mm. parts of us that need to be cut off, uh, parts of our sinful flesh that need to be removed and excised from ourselves so that we can experience the true joy of knowing the Lord. And this is also why Jesus says uh, the, the classic phrase, you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever mm-hmm. would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That is a p- passage that fundamentally shapes, I think, how we should do theology. Yeah. Uh, we do theology uh, on the path of Christ, picking up our cross, willing to take uh, any measure that is required to follow Christ, even the death of ourselves, the death of our dreams, our wishes, our, our hopes, even in some way, uh, if it means following Christ. I would rather lose all of that than lose my soul And so I will follow Christ. Christ is my Lord. I know that wherever He leads me, it will be good, though it may include persecution, suffering, pain. Yeah, He sets a table
0: for me in the presence of my enemies. Exactly, and
1: that's that's how we share in the sufferings of Christ, and therefore become more like Him, as Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter three. We take on these sufferings, knowing that being a Christian may not look like human flourishing in the worldly sense, and that I think is a fundamental. Uh, flaw in the thinking of many today, that human flourishing has been so redefined, radically redefined in the modern world to look very little like what human flourishing looks like in scripture. And so if we do our theology with the aim of getting towards that kind of worldly human flourishing, uh, we will find ourselves being very much at odds with the teaching of scripture and how it it calls us to live our life but the promise of scripture is human flourishing i often tell yeah. the students in, in our youth group god's law is good god's law is designed not to ruin your life hmm. though it may feel like that sometimes it's designed to bless you it's designed to to help you uh, to live well in this world yeah and so we should see see those commands, those tough commands of scripture, uh, these high callings, like picking up our cross, not as, uh, as funerals, but as celebrations, uh, as as something to be excited about. It's an invitation toward more life, having that life abundant, and not uh, the mere life of this world. It's as C.S. Lewis would say. It's sort of like mud pies in the slums versus sandcastles at the sea.
0: Yeah, there's um, there, well put. There's there's two things that come to my mind. I, I think of something Tim Keller wrote about the purpose of theology. He says theology should humble us like where theology is being used to elevate um, me or um, me over another person, then I'm probably not understanding God and and the centrality of Christ and my own sinfulness as I should. And so true Christian theology will humble the student of theology, um, humble us into subservience to the Lord because the more you learn about God, the more humble you will be. I yeah. Mean, so
1: God sets the terms. It's, yeah. It's theology
0: is for Him. It's
1: not about right. not our, not ourselves. And,
0: and even just knowing Him. So one of the most humbling, yet at the same time, encouraging and uplifting things for me is to listen to the the final uh, the final song in Handel's Messiah, the "Worthy is the Lamb." And so it's basically, I think it's about a seven or eight minute song with just words from the book of Revelation, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and wisdom and strength. And, and so to me, that's that's theology, that's worthy is the lamb, that's, God is so amazingly glorious, he's worthy of my worship. And I'm very humbled that, that, that God would, would care for me or would listen to me or would certainly die on a cross for me. And so good yeah. real theology, true theology will humble us and, and make us, what the Apostle Paul says, a slave of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's, that's what leads into my second point that I want to make. And if we want to get really specific about how theology and having a good telos of theology relates to the real world, we can think of something like a transgender person. And so, what, what, does, the, what does the modern secular psychologist say the transgender person needs? They, mm-hmm. this, that they would say they need affirmation. They need support. They need encouragement to kind of go where their mind mm-hmm. is taking them, um, even if that involves what is very clearly destructive surgeries and destructive medications to their body. Yeah. Um, uh, that that we could say is almost objectively true in the physiological sense, mm-hmm. that it would be a bad idea to destroy um, a woman's breasts or it, and so uh, remove them. 17-year-olds mm-hmm. testicles and or something like that. And so to that that's leading in the the, the direction of destruction. Mm-hmm. Um thinking that the goal is going to be the telos could be psychological acceptance. Mm-hmm. So that that is all rooted in a theology of what thriving and flourishing looks like, right. and so the Christian, oh, yeah. even
1: if it's not even a Christian person, yeah. coming up with that theology, absolutely it's, it's a theology of its
0: own. And so the Christian can come in again with with care, but also with good theology, and say, "You were made in the image of God,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and I'm just here not to win an argument over you, but I'm here as a messenger of mm-hmm. of God who 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 tells us we're made in His image." Mm-hmm. And um, and he made us like he wanted us to be, certainly yeah. in the physiological sense. And um, he made he makes our bodies good. Yeah, and, and that you will find,
1: should you uh, refrain from going through with these surgeries and these these treatments, you will find more more joy. Yeah, and that's that's on offer to you in following the way of God. Right, that's the fundamental. I think point the fundamental contention.
0: Yeah, and and so if yeah. if we st- and and I think that's hopefully a good. Rubber Meets the Road, an example of what Zach is really getting at in his yeah. his introductory words. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> well, no, I, I, it was clearly spelled out, but I, that's just like where, where no, this leads. Good, and so if we start with the anthropocentric question, how can we make this person feel better right yeah, and now? We can use
1: all these Bible verses and sort of theologize yeah. into making them feel good about themselves.
0: And we could end up in a disastrous scenario. Mm. And it is disaster. You hear these stories of... 17 18 19 year olds Mm -hmm. getting mastectomies and and so forth and then being sad about it you know four or five years later they'll never nurse their children which is just such an absolutely profoundly beautiful thing for a woman to be able to do for her child yeah um we we saw um we were touring uh um the uh victorian albert museum in uh in london and there's a there's a beautiful sculpture of a nursing mother with her child. And it made both Pam and I weep because of how beautiful it was. The, the look on the mother's face to nurse her child. Um, we, we were just in awe of how beautiful it was. Mm. And so the fact that that's being ruined for for many, or even the possibility of it is being ruined right. by this ideology that says you need to feel good right now about how how you relate to your body. And there's nothing you shouldn't do
1: to stop yourself from Ex- doing exactly. that. Um, it's, the, it's really the reverse of what Christ says.
0: And so, that's getting down the anthropocentric direction, whereas what we want to encourage is humility first. So, um, not to approach theology as a weapon mm-hmm. against people, mm-hmm. but we can just openly say it is a weapon against falsehood and against misery yeah, yeah, and against, against self-destructiveness good yeah. theology is going to lead us in that Absolutely. direction because we're going to know what god's designed for us is yep. so you start with a theocentric approach who is god how has he made me how has he created me how has he saved me right. and then from that that position of truth and security a person can can really move forward and thrive if they're single Mm -hmm. um even if they continue to occasionally experience a gender dysphoria no but but i know the truth Mm -hmm. that's what jesus said the truth will set you free from that misery of um self-centeredness or uh Mm -hmm. going wherever your emotions take you yeah and
1: there are lots of really uh interesting fascinating stories of uh, young people who have transitioned back, detransitioned is sort of the, the word that's often used, and they've they've talked about exactly that. How they realized that doing all of these things, taking taking hormones, having these surgeries, didn't bring about the effect that they were hoping. Yeah. It didn't bring about the resolution or the peace that they were seeking. It didn't resolve uh, their pain, their anxieties, their depression, even. And they realized that in some ways it was just adding to it, and so, yeah, there's there's several fascinating yeah. stories that I've heard, uh, and so the the and even a lot of these stories aren't even Christian people. They haven't yeah. exactly turned back to the Lord or anything. They've a lot of them have remained atheists all along the way, but they've just realized that it the was truth. they were not happy. They yeah. were not any happier uh, post transition than they than they were before. In fact, they were less happy. And so, yeah, it, that to me is just proof positive that there's a better way. And that better way is not following ourselves, not following the desires of our flesh, mm-hmm. and not thinking that we know better, but it is like Proverbs, like the Proverbs tell us, to in all your ways acknowledge the Lord and he will make straight your paths. And so we humbly submit, we humbly follow, knowing that death to our flesh means life to ourselves. And to our, to our true selves, I would even say. Yeah. Our true selves are not our flesh. And that is a fundamental, uh, I think, uh, mix-up that our culture has done. We think of our true selves as what Paul calls the flesh or our sinful nature. And that is, I think, mm. really at the root of our modern ills today.
0: Well, and uh, y- you could find transgender people who transitioned and are happy. You could find trans... Transgender people who transitioned and are, now, are still right, miserable. Right, right, you can. And so, given that, what do we do? How, what's the standard by which we should know if it was a good idea or a bad idea? It's the scriptures.
1: Yeah, neither of those stories, they, they felt bad about it or they still feel good about their transition. Yeah. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other.
0: Yeah, uh, well, and in the end, we, we believe that God's word is, is true and their their joy— of course, should be found in Christ and hmm. and in um, sort of all the benefits that know of knowing the truth of the scriptures, which include to embrace how God made our bodies right, yeah. at a certain point, the
1: goodness of His design, right?
0: And so, um, and you, you would have the same thing in in um, homosexual situations too, where there would be some who are very happy and mm-hmm. seem like they're they're just doing okay. And then you would have some people like a Beckett cook. He, he shares the story of just being an absolutely miserable person who seemed very happy on the exterior, but, and he had reached the height of his, his um, profession um, was living a gay lifestyle, but it was just leaving him so empty. Mm -hmm. He eventually walked through the doors of a church, turned to Christ, and now is very glad to talk about the the misery that he was actually feeling while seeming so happy. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have, these contrasting stories and so what do we do with the contrast we need to do some theology
1: we need to return to principle right. <laughs> we,
0: we get to the principle of what does god say is good yeah because um john kelvin talked about that i think about this passage a lot in the opening pages of the institutes where he says let's be very humble and very hesitant to deem people a good person or some of their behavior good behavior because everything in our world, says Kelvin, is so tainted by sin, including our own understanding hmm. that that what seems a little bit less dirty is regarded by us as pure. I, yeah. I really like that that hmm. Calvin said that. What seems a little bit less tainted, like somebody did a nice thing or like some mm-hmm. somebody has a marriage that seems to me on the surface, like a good marriage. The, the world is so tainted by sin that, that that is regarded as pure and holy and good, yeah. um, especially this happens in modern psychology, um, that just, just feeling a little bit better is, is regarded as a great day, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Calvin says, what we need is regeneration. We need to be, every person would need to be born again, um, not just so that we can be joyful and we go to heaven someday, but, but also so that we can see things in the world more clearly hmm. um, to see what is, what is sinful and what is actually and truly good. Um, yeah. And without that regenerating work of the spirit, we won't be able to tell um, which, hmm. which lifestyle would be good or bad. Um, we need to know the word of God. That's what determines it for us.
1: Yeah. And so our starting point and our ending point then is God's word. Does God's word set the, the bounds, set the aims, mm-hmm. set the trajectory of our theologizing? We hope that as you think through this for yourself, you will see the importance of this crucial starting point. Yeah. And so we thank you guys again for listening to us. We ask that you would like, share, comment, subscribe. We always love hearing from, from, from you who do reach out to us. So keep that up. And we will look forward to seeing you all next week. All right, thanks. Grace and peace.